0: What really helped me was breaking a day down from 24 hours into into 1,440 minutes. And when you recognize that there's 1,440 minutes in a day, there is nobody who can uh, sit and argue with me that they don't have time to do the things that they know are necessary. And that comes back to living in alignment with who you are.
1: Hello and welcome back to Take 10 for Men. We are 10-minute conversations with inspiring men about how they manage their mental health. My name is Sophia Hatzis, I'm the host of the show and today we have Matt Runnels as our guest. Matt lost his first friend to suicide when he was just 12 years old. As a young boy from regional Victoria, he saw the impact that mental illness could have on a community. He didn't want to become another statistic but was very aware that he could be. Matt has experienced his own mental health challenges, but he also wanted to see what life would be like at the top. After doing some hard work on himself, Matt is now the founder and CEO of Mindful Oz, an organization that aims to empower people to take their mental health back into their own hands. He provides space for others to share their stories and to feel seen, but he also gives people tools and strategies to take ownership of their mental health. This is an honest, raw and real chat. I hope you love it. Please make sure that you like, comment, subscribe and leave a review so that more people can find out about the podcast. But most importantly, take 10 and check on the man you love today and enjoy the chat. Matt, I would like to welcome you to Take 10 for Men. We are 10 minute conversations with inspiring men about how they manage their mental health and support their mates. This is the first time meeting. It's a pleasure. How are you?
0: Any opportunity that we get, especially in these challenging times, to share a meaningful conversation is one that I um, am a huge fan of. So thanks for having me and thanks for doing what you're doing.
1: When I say, how are you? I would really love if you wouldn't mind rating that for me on a scale of one to 10. So one being the lowest of lows and 10 being the highest of highs. Where would you say you sit on that scale today?
0: Um, There's been a lot going on in my world at the moment, but I am. This is where you just get so much satisfaction out of knowing inner resources that we've built over a long period of time to to know that you're going to get out of this situation that I'm stuck in at the minute. So I've had a few things go on lately, but um, I'm clawing my way through them. I understand that they're there and I accept them. So you yeah, know probably five out of 10, but I'm uh, I'm functional. I'm well uh, and very grateful.
1: We are going to get a little bit deep, Matt. And and I want to speak to you a little bit about your experience with mental ill health. So I know that or you've spoken openly about The fact that you were 12 when you lost your first friend to suicide, which is incredibly young, without really knowing sort of what that meant and the challenges that you would have faced going forward. And you've been honest about experiencing anxiety and depression yourself. Could you tell me a little bit about what that was like for you and when you knew that something was wrong? So when you knew that it stopped being like, I feel sad to being, I actually have a problem.
0: I think, I mean, I've had a brilliant upbringing and a beautiful upbringing with everything that every, any kid would ever wish for. So I think that that at the same time was my biggest problem, because when you believe that your world should be perfect and all of a sudden you're not showing up that way and uh, things are starting to play, wreak havoc on your mind. I think I suppressed them for a long time purely because I believed that what I was experiencing was not valid um, purely because I'd always had the best of everything, best parents, uh, best opportunities, best education, everything in my life was going perfectly. But yet I continued to feel consistently sad. So I remember suppressing that for a long, long period of time until I had some really scary conversations and dangerous conversations. I think they almost felt like for a while there with my parents and the people around me. And unfortunately for me, you know, I sat at the back of so many funerals at such an early age that I started to understand and find my acceptance through thinking that I was going to be next. And so I was really forced my hand in that regard. I remember I sat at the back of one of my mates funerals Jake and uh, you know I heard people saying how selfish he was and things like that and it really really struck a chord with me really made me angry but it also made me understand and have the acceptance that hang on if I don't do something about my situation I could very well find myself in these same um we could we could be back here again in the community for me and and I didn't want that you know I I I thought I was you know I was going to be the next statistic and so I found the acceptance to go in and get myself the the access and access the um, help and support that I thought I needed and that I definitely deserved. Um, it didn't stop there; it, it keeps going. But it's uh, as I said, like you build a comp- you build this skill set and these tools and this understanding over many many years that enables you to understand that our thoughts don't have to become our actions.
1: I wanted to talk to you a little bit about those. Thoughts because I think what happens a lot in these mental health conversations is we talk about depression and anxiety as kind of a thing that is a little bit vague and we don't really go deep into what that actually feels like. And I know that for some people it feels very different. Um, but I'd love if you could put me in your shoes for a moment and sort of describe what being depressed and really anxious was like.
0: You know, I have a racing mind, I've now been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um- you know, I fluctuate between the, the manic highs and the suicidal lows. Obviously, like I said before, I control and manage those a lot differently these days. But I think the most important one for me was I fell out of love with everything that I ever felt love for. And I think that that was the most demoralizing and exhausting experience that I'd ever been through, was when you love your mum, you love your dad, you love your brother, and and all these beautiful things around you. And all of a sudden, you fall out of love for all of those things. And you can't find the words to you can't find that word love. You don't feel it anymore for anything that you've experienced. And I think that that was the most exhausting thing that I, that I experienced um, through those times was um, the numbing of emotion, the numbing of pain, and you can't numb specific emotions. So when you numb the sad and the sadness and the fear and the guilt and the shame, you also numb joy and contentment as well. So um, I felt like a burden, worthless and, and, and a failure on every single person that I come in contact with. So, when you live with those three core limiting beliefs about yourself, I just remove myself from any situation in which I could feel that. So I run away from home at the age of 18 to avoid um, putting anyone that I come in contact with through those things and making myself feel those things around them. So very, very exhausting, very, very um, debilitating is the word that I often use. And and like what we're experiencing now, very constricting when you cannot, when you don't have no control over the outcomes, it makes it very, very difficult. And that's the beauty of of mental health and wellness is we have the ability to put the tools, techniques, strategies and understanding back in people's hands so that they do understand and do recognise that they've always had the strength to tap into the uniqueness of who they are and get through all of these situations.
1: And I do want to ask you about mindful and about empowering people to take their mental health into their own hands because I think that's a really pivotal part of your story and something that I'm really looking forward to talking to you about. Before we do that, I want you, I would love if we could talk a little bit about how you reached out for support, because there's a lot of conversations around reach out, tell us when you're struggling, talk when you're sad and you're lonely. But often when you're in the lowest moments of your life, the last thing that you want to do is talk to anyone about it. Can you tell me how you actually got the courage to ask for help and how that happened?
0: My hope was rediscovered. Um, in two ways. My rediscovery was of, of hope was visible in other people's kindness towards me, but it was also in the seeing other people that resembled what it looks like to live with what I knew I was living with. So this is why this is beautiful that what you're doing here is because we create stories, more stories of people that are functional and live in ha- happy, healthy and fulfilling lives like they deserve rather than these stories of suffering. Suffering is a choice. And I'm a big, big advocate and firm believer in that. Um, what I needed to see that it was possible. And so people living with bipolar disorder like my Kevin, your Kevin Hines, your Joe Williams, your Paul Dalio's, these sorts of people that showed me that it was possible. So going in and having that acceptance to, to get help and treatment at the start was just purely because society had told us that that's what you do. And that's what I'm also not an advocate in is pushing people down the hands of our system. I think that that's a last resort. I think that what we should do is understand that the human being is fundamentally wired for love, belonging, connection. All we ever wanted as as a human is to love and be loved, to be seen, heard, felt, and got for who we truly are. And if we keep telling society these things, we understand that every single person listening to this right now has the confidence and the same skill set as me to help and support the people around us. We can't be expecting of people in this world to scream from the rafters that they're unwell and we're the ones that are well capable of reaching in. You know, I was very lucky that I found hope visible in the kindness of others. Um, people that showed me that it was possible, but also uh, in a very confronting way, I sat up the back of funerals and 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 seen firsthand that that could be very well be me. Now I knew what it was like to live at the bottom. For me, it was just a flick of the switch. And I wanted to see what it looked like if um, I climb my way to the top and I'm still doing that, but through doing that, you're able to share these journeys with every single other people and hope that they don't have to go through the same same climb as what I did. Maybe their climb might be a little bit easier for them or more simple.
1: I would love to talk to you a little bit about Mindful. And so you have gone into primarily or particularly, I understand, regional and remote communities, and you've worked a lot with children And with blue collar workers, so men in mining tradesmen who are overrepresented when when it comes to mental ill health and the statistics around them. I would really love to know from you, from your experience in the industry, having run hundreds of workshops, what do you feel is the main problem facing men right now?
0: Dr. Bart Andrews, one of the most uh, brilliant psychologists in the world who I've met in America, you know, one of his quotes always sits with me and it's, Matt, when we see a lot of mental illness being expressed, it's a sign that the community is sick, not the person itself. And so when we take that into consideration, we understand that what these environments need, whether it's, you know, construction, farming, agriculture, these places that I chose to work, um, we just need the understanding that we're hang on a minute we can do this we have the confidence we have the skill set we're all as qualified as one another to provide love belonging and connection and to help people be heard and valued for who they really are when we start to allow those spaces with simple strategies and tools i mean this the holding space the reflex head nods the ears willing to listen with no intent to reply and eye contact and discipline you know four simple tools that allow us to hold space and have conversations with anyone you know, I, I, I was just one kid that was struggling with his emotional pain and never wanted to tell anyone. I wanted to tell everyone. I couldn't tell anyone. Now I go around the world and tell anyone. And the only difference is people in these environments that book me, that have me, that value me, do exactly that. And they hold space for me to, to allow me to be this. You just recognize that it's so much easier to live like this when you're not hiding anything about who you truly are. And when you show up like that and align with your values, and your actions in synergy well then you're living in alignment and when you live in alignment you find the people that um are there they're your gang they're your tribe they're your supporters and they're the people that want to see you do well and be well and that's what i think for a long time i struggled to find or understand i think it's the same for our men um you know there's a lot of research to show that it's not men that don't want to talk about it it's the space that's been held for men that stops them from doing it now there's a lot of evidence and research to support that so how can we all show up better for each other so that we can be heard, seen and valued and you know, strip the walls back and start talking about it for, for its truth and not sugarcoating it and bullshitting it to make people feel more comfortable about it. So you know, there's nobody, absolutely nobody in this world we cannot love once we've heard their story. There's nothing more attractive than people who just step forward and be who they really are and understand that they are strong enough to get through any of the situations, challenges, traumas, heartbreaks, or adversities that they experience and to know that every single one of them that they are going through is carving them into the person that they're meant to become. So what we do in those environments is hold space for these men to show up and be real. Um, it's not rocket science. It's not revolutionary. We just got to do more of it.
1: I guess what I would love to know from you is when you set up Mindful, what is kind of the key takeaway that you have had from founding that organization like what did you say what would you say is the primary lesson that you've learned since you started mindful and started allowing and giving people space to share their story and to open up to you
0: I had I ran a charity I started a charity on this thing so I mean there's a couple of lessons in it separate of mental health is you can do and be whatever you want to be if you're in alignment with who you truly are now every single day I wake up my eyes hit uh, my eyes open my feet hit the ground I'm breathing in that fresh air I'm one of the lucky ones. And so, you know, once upon a time, I shouldn't have been here. Um, I've got my second, third, fourth and fifth chances at life. And so I want to make sure that I use them. But what I've seen from this journey is that when you live in alignment with who you truly are, like I've shared previous, life is fun, but life is simple. If we build healthy relationships with everything in the world that causes us discomfort, stress or pain, then life becomes simple. It's not easy, never has been, never will be, but it is simple. And so that's what we want to share with people is that they can be and do whatever they want in life if they live living in alignment with who they really are. But as I said before, a lot of us are hiding away from the person that we truly are at the fear and judgment, shame, stigma, and bias of other people. So what we do at Mindful is, is, is purely just help people tap into the strengths of who they are. And I think that that's the most beautiful part of my journey is I get to sit back and watch other people flourish just because we've said something in a way that's made them go, shit, that's what I needed to hear.
1: Can you tell me what you do on a day-to-day basis to manage your own mental health? Because you said you've recently had a bipolar diagnosis and you're well aware that you have your own struggles on and off. Um, So what do you do on a day-to-day basis to manage your own mental well-being?
0: You know, I start as early as 5am in the morning and I'm a big believer in the first 90 minutes of the day sets it up for an unbreakable one. So the first, I think, two and a half hours of my day until 7.30 before I go to work is all wellness. And that's cold exposure, compassion, gratitude, Meditation, breath work, um, obviously our nutrition's in there for breakfast. Exercise, um, value alignment, reflection, journaling—all of these things fit into my wellness plan, whether they're at the first half of the day or the back half of the day. Um, and it's not a chore. It's not—you know—once upon a time it was doing the things that I didn't really want to do, but knowing that they made a massive difference to me. Now it's a game. What really helped me was breaking a day down from 24 hours into into 1,440 minutes. And when you recognize that there's 1,440 minutes in a day, there is nobody who can ask, sit and argue with me that they don't have time to do the things that they know are necessary. And that comes back to living in alignment with who you are. So, you know, you talk gratitude, compassion, um, a five-minute practices, value alignment, journaling, reflection, five-minute practices, meditation, 10-minute practices, um, positive affirmations, five-minute practices, exercise, 26 minutes of exercise. So when you do it, break it down like that, you'll recognize that we probably sleep for 440. We work for 440 or roundabouts. We've still got heaps of minutes left in the day if we really care about the most important thing and that's ourselves.
1: 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. I always try to finish the conversation in the same way and and I'll do it with you as well, Matt. Um, And it is about gratitude. And you said you practice gratitude every day, but I would love to know what are you most grateful for today?
0: Today, I'm most grateful for the skill set that I've enabled, that I've found, and that I possess over many, many years from some of the world's best advocates in the world. Um, because it's days like today where I'm probably a little bit more battered and bruised than I normally am, and uh, I'm just grateful that I know that I've got a skill set that enables me to walk out of it and live a healthy, happy, and fulfilling life. Um, whether that's tomorrow or the day after, I'll be back to myself. You're not going to keep me down for any longer than than, uh, one day at a time. So I'm very blessed to all of the people around the world and platforms like this that have provided men with the skills and tools to know that they can, they can get through whatever they're going through.
1: Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with me and with us. Um, it's been a real privilege to have you and, um, I look forward to the future that we both have <laughs> in the mental health space.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks, Soph. And again, I just love what you're doing and love that you're bringing all these men's mental health advocates together. It's, um, yeah, I just encourage more people to tap in and listen to these sorts of conversations because it's uh, once upon a time, I wish they existed for me and my mates that are no longer here. So it's a beautiful thing what you're doing.
1: That means a lot of you to say. Thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate it.